I will go ahead and get started. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for coming. We're your co-hosts, Kara Meiber Guzman and Stephen Baxter. Um, we're lucky to have on our panel today Dr. Larry Digitaldi and Dr. David Gillard-Ducci. We'll introduce them in a second, but first, a little primer on how this town hall works. Um, we will ask your contributed questions. Uh, many of you emailed them ahead of time. If you have questions, you should see a little chat box on the right-hand uh, corner of your screen. Uh, you can type them there. Natalia Drescher, our staffer behind the scenes, will take your questions and feed them to us. Um, before we get started, I also want to let you know that we have a membership drive going on right now. Um, Santa Cruz Local is a local news podcast, newsletter, and website. And um, we give you the deepest coverage on local government. Uh, right now, we are supported largely from memberships from people like you. Um, Natalia will put the membership link in our chat box um, so you can click it to learn more. Um, also, let Natalia know if you'd like to sign up for our email newsletter. It's free. Stephen, are you there? Okay, uh, well, I will go ahead and do the intro. Um, again, we're joined by Dr. David Gillarducci. He's the county's deputy health officer. He's also part of the leadership team at the county that's driving the healthcare response to the coronavirus right now. Fun fact about Dr. Gillarducci, um, he was a firefighter and a fire captain in Santa Cruz County for 16 years before medical school. And our second guest is Dr. Larry Digitaldi. He's the Sutter Health Palo Alto Medical Foundation Santa Cruz Division President. Um, fun fact about Dr. Digitaldi, in 1974, he was the captain of UC Santa Cruz's soccer team. Before a game against UC Davis, the team voted to change their name from the Pine Cones to the Banana Slugs. This predated the official mascot um, of UCSC, the Banana Slug. Dr. Gillarducci and Dr. Digitaldi, welcome. Thank you. It's good to, to be, be here. here. Thanks. So first question for Dr. Gillarducci. Uh, you said this week that projections show that our county will need 100 ventilators for COVID patients when we hit our peak. We have fewer than 50 ventilators right now. What has your team done this week to uh, try to get to 100. Well, thank you for that question. It's uh, the one that probably keeps me up most at night. Uh, we um, are having continual discussions with our healthcare leaders uh, about uh, any creative ways that we can expand capacity. The number of ventilators is only one part of the equation, though. The other part is uh, having uh, the people to staff those. So there are uh, opportunities to bring in staff through uh, the California uh, Medical Corps, highly specialized folks that, that uh, manage uh, ventilated patients. And so um, this is gonna require you know, quite a bit of uh, resource. Um, we are also uh, investigating uh, all of our options in terms of moving patients out to where, the, where uh, ICU beds may be available elsewhere. So kind of a multi-pronged effort that looks at expanding local capacity, bringing in help, and then maybe moving patients to where there might be more capacity. Um, just to follow up on that for a second, though, it seems like uh, the last two weeks we've stayed at 50 ICU beds. Do you see that um, surge, max surge capacity increasing at all? Is there a chance that 
that number can move upward? You know, I'm not seeing uh, a whole lot of uh, uh, expansion capacity left beyond the 50 that we have. Um, we um, uh, we might be able to add another five or 10 in um, uh, sort of really extreme circumstances, and, and that may happen, but um, much greater than 50 is not likely, uh, in my opinion, at this point. Um, so uh, we're going to you know, probably a focus more on uh, trying to find other places for these patients to go. Fortunately, we have a pretty robust transportation system with ambulances and a helicopter that's based here in Santa Cruz County that can help us move these critically ill patients. Another follow-up for Dr. Gillarducci. Your team put up this chart at a county supervisor's meeting this week, and it shows the projections of intensive care unit beds needed in the county. Can you explain this chart to our audience? Um, and how does the county use projections like these to make decisions on shelter-in-place orders? Absolutely. So, um, uh, let me answer the second part first about decisions on shelter-in-place orders, and I think this is, um, you know, a key concept for for your readers, but also for, you know, the country as a whole. Is that uh, shelter-in-place orders are a direct result of not having testing capacity, and that is a, a worldwide issue, but it's a particular issue here in the United States. Testing capacity is about um, having the machines that can run the test, but it's also about having the reagents that the machines require. It's about having the swabs that, um, that you need in order to obtain the sample and having the PPE for the people that are doing the, the administering the test so that they're protected. And we have shortages in all of those areas. Uh, but uh, testing capacity is building and we're looking at some creative ways of expanding capacity. Uh, looking at all of those elements that I just mentioned. When we have a better idea of who is infected and who's not, then we can be more selective in terms of how we isolate. Uh, but right now we have a pretty blunt tool that uh, I have to say has been pretty effective, uh, especially in Santa Cruz County. We have one of the uh, slowest rates of growth uh, in our county, largely as the result of, I think, a responsive population here. Uh, I think the, the early uh, action that our health officer, Dr. Gail Newell, made has been uh, tremendous. Um, the Bay Area health officers in general and California in general have been uh, pretty aggressive about that. Had we waited another week, we might be seeing uh, a far different picture today than we are. Um, so um, as far as the graph that you showed, the one that you had up was... Um, Actually, hospitalizations, it didn't, uh, there's a different graph that looks at ICU beds. But hospitalizations, I actually feel a little bit better. The statewide projections that they have for Santa Cruz County predict uh, possibly up to 300 patients at one time will be hospitalized with COVID. Uh, but, uh, and our hospital capacity is probably closer to 400. And that is largely the result of uh, Dominican and Watsonville and Sutter um, doing um, some creative ways of expanding their inpatient capacity. Uh, that's for hospitalized in general, but for the ICU, as we said before, there are some functional limitations that are going to be um, uh, very difficult to get beyond. Uh, so we're looking good as far as hospitalizations right now. Uh, obviously, the uh, if you look at this graph, you can see a kind of dark blue band and then a light blue band 
And those represents, and not to get too technical, but those represents the kind of odds of where we think it could be. Um, the, the light blue band uh, represents a, uh, what's called a 95% confidence interval, which means that uh, there's a 95% chance that we'll be somewhere within those light blue bands. Um, and then the dark blue band is, is a 50% chance of being within there. So the projections going forward, um, uh, at least until the end of May, uh, look like we have capacity, but um, getting beyond that, the numbers become uh, much more uncertain. Great. And I had a question for Dr. DiGataldi, if you can hear me. Uh, thank you for coming, first of all. We were sent a document this week um, that showed Sutter Health workers on the front line. Some of them are no longer receiving hazard and overtime pay. And I was just wondering what Sutter's doing to fix that. Um, the question came from a listener. Um, so uh, all the health systems, most health systems, individual providers have seen um, patient volumes drop by, you know, 50 to 80 percent. Um, and for our employees, uh, we've kept most of our employees on, uh, but as volumes and, and patient demand for, you know, traditional ambulatory services drop, this is not true. This is true for all health systems. We typically, when a hospital has a low census, uh, we call patients off. Um, they, you know, retain benefits. Um, what we have seen is we've, we've asked um, uh, employees to take some PTO. Uh, we have some uh, emergency funding available for, for full-time staff um, to cover. Uh, but what we've largely seen is we've asked the entire workforce to decrease some. Uh, so I, I don't really understand the question. We're, um, we're trying to preserve access to benefits and, and keep people um, working as, as best as we can. We've seen a huge shift from face-to-face -face patient work to virtual patient work, and, and that's occurring all over the country. And, and I've been very impressed by uh, the U.S. healthcare system's rapid movement supported by payers from, from the federal government to um, uh, uh, private uh, insurance companies supporting the movement from traditional face-to-face -face care to virtual uh, telephonic video visits. And a question for Dr. Gillarducci. Um, we had a question from a Santa Cruz local member, Jonathan Coleman. He asked, what is being done to protect farm workers? Can the county use its authority to improve health and safety conditions in migrant housing, transportation, or work uh, to and from the fields? Excellent question, and thank you for that. Uh, the, there are a number of efforts uh, directed specifically to the ag community. And uh, we know that they are an at-risk population for a number of reasons, access to primary health care being one of them, the um, living in closer kind of settings, uh, the kind of transitory nature for some of these folks. Uh, I've also uh, heard a report last night that there's a bit of an outbreak going on in Tijuana and my colleagues in um, San Diego and Imperial counties are seeing some evidence of that. Um, so the, um, in Mexico in general, there, I, th I think there's a real struggle going on down there. So uh, as far as uh, outreach, we um, are working with uh, Salud para la Gente uh, with uh, their efforts to reach this group. We have uh, multilingual or bilingual uh, education going out. Uh, we're uh, having discussions now about building testing capacity for that group uh, to specifically focus. And, uh, you know, right now, our, the testing that, that we do have in the county, which is limited, as I said before, 
is uh, what I call kind of passive. That is, we're waiting for the patients to come to us and then they get tested. And I think that we're going to have to shift to some kind of uh, more community surveillance that includes going out to people and testing them where they are, providing broader resources that don't require them to go to the doctor or the hospital to get tested. So uh, multiple areas, it's an area that we recognize as being um, uh, a uh, potential hotspot. And, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of work being, uh, being done in that area. Can, can I ask, Kara, just real quick, a follow-up for uh, Dr. Digitali, since we um, haven't heard as much from the Sutter end of things as we have from the county. Can you just give us a little overview of where Sutter is at in terms of the COVID response? I mean, as one of the basically three major hospitals in the county, what are some of the big challenges that, are, that you're facing right now? So, you know, and I can speak, uh, I'll there are three large healthcare systems in Northern California, and they're all in Santa Cruz, Kaiser, Dignity, and Sutter Health. Um, and they've all responded, I think, in, in similar ways. Uh, they early, uh, the system set up incident commands to address the emerging uh, pandemic. Um, and we're really, uh, as David uh, showed on the graph, we're really focusing not so much on how many patients are positive COVID in a community, but what's the experience in the ICU and what's the experience on the inpatient side? Because that's really the best measure when we don't have adequate testing, the best measure of, of how significant the impact on any given community is, is gonna be how many patients in the ICU? How long are they in the ICU? What are their outcomes and what are we doing for those patients? Um, so in, for us in Santa Cruz, we, like other healthcare systems, uh, rapidly pivoted. Um, first of all, we stopped doing elective procedures. We stopped doing elective uh, standard ambulatory visits, you know, health maintenance preventative visits uh, to protect patients from, to allow patients to stay um, at home. And then we, as I said, we moved as quickly as we, we could from the traditional um, physician office visit to virtual visits. Um, and that, and, and I've been really surprised how quickly we were able to do that. We set up respiratory clinics very early. And in fact, the first uh, Santa Cruz County patient diagnosed with COVID was in one of our respiratory clinic visits. Um, and, uh, you know, the communities come out and, and folks are bringing food to our respiratory clinics to, to help our workers. They're working out in hail and in rain and um, you know, testing patients in their cars. Um, it's, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been amazing to see. And it's been amazing to see signs in the community thanking our heroes you know, for the healthcare workers. And um, so it's, it's been, uh, we, we've seen a generation of healthcare change in six weeks. Dr. Digitaldi, can you talk a little bit about the economic situation in our hospital system right now? Yeah. So um, the the American healthcare system, you know, we there's many different payers from Medi-Cal to Medicare to third-party payers. Um, the most health, uh, the U.S. healthcare system relies on elective procedures, really to in a way subsidize uh, other kinds of services and, and health plans, um, those have all stopped. 
um, the, the stuff, the, the bread and butter stuff of the US healthcare system. And so what we have seen um, all across the country, and it's particularly hard on you know, single hospitals in rural areas or solo physicians uh, anywhere, um, the, uh, the lack of inflow of uh, you know, the funds that, that sort of subsidize all the good works that they do have stopped. Um, the federal government, uh, part of the CARES Act, released um, $100 billion, of $30 billion ha has been distributed uh, to U.S. healthcare providers. Um, it, it's more than a drop in the bucket, but it's not enough to keep uh, the systems whole. We're fortunate to have well-run federally qualified health centers that, that have the funds to, you know, to, to stay open over the next few months. And the three healthcare systems are, you know, continuing to support the, the care to our, our, our community. Um, so we're okay for the time being, but this can't go on forever. You talk about the local situation. Um, I mean, our, what's happening in Santa Cruz County? Have you heard about furloughs of healthcare workers? Um, you know, we've heard about what's happening from Sutter and, you know, frustration about that. Well, there will be some um, slowing down of, uh, you know, we're not calling folks in as if we were, look, we're, many of the systems are down, as I said, uh, you know, uh, 60 to 75%. Um, so uh, each system and individual provider's office and community clinic is, uh, they're trying to find the, the best way to protect their, their patients and, and do the right thing by their staff. So it's varied, but not everybody is working full time. Um, I can ask this next question, Carrie, uh, from a listener. Uh, maybe this is for Dr. Gillarducci. And um, how many Santa Cruz County deaths does the model predict by May 1st? There have been two deaths so far, and I'm curious if either of you are, either of you are surprised by that figure. Uh, I can say that um, uh, we don't have, uh, our epidemiologists right now are working on those projections. I've asked for those yesterday to get a, a better sense. Um, the, the early projections were, were pretty high. Um, uh, I can't give you a number off the top of my head, but I don't have much confidence in those very early projections. I, I think the newer ones will give us more data. Am I surprised by the two? I think uh, the... Um, uh, at this point, we had expected actually more. Uh, these people, when, they, when they're sick like this, um, are in really dire straits. And uh, this particular virus is really kind of, um, you know, we're all scratching our heads about this one. Uh, people um, can um, sometimes have very mild illness. Sometimes they're not even aware that they have the illness. And then sometimes they can feel a little bit ill and then they rapidly decline. And there's this uh, kind of odd trajectory for some people that we're still trying to understand more about. Um, so uh, to answer your question, I, I'm not surprised by the two that we've had. Uh, there may actually be others that we don't know about. Uh, and I think the other concern that I have is that um, we're seeing an overall decrease in the number of heart attacks and strokes that we would normally see this time, you know, over a course of time. And I suspect that those things are still happening, but people are not seeking care. 
and there is capacity in our hospitals. Um, we have, um, you know, cardiologists that are, are standing idle. We have neurologists that are ready to take care of people. And if you have a medical emergency, uh, I know people are worried about going to the hospital and they're, and they're thinking they're going to get infected there. But if you have a, a medical emergency like a heart attack or a stroke, the time is of the essence that you get treated and the best thing to do is to come in. So, so uh, yeah, two deaths, uh, tragic um, and, uh, you know, very sad. I do expect more. Um, uh, I think we're doing better than I had thought, but I think that there's some undercounted um, uh, collateral damage that's happening too. Could I comment, because um, you're being a little humble, David, um, the uh, two deaths are terrible, but we're sitting right next to Santa Clara County, which has uh, a lot of cases. We really expected a lot worse. And um, your boss is early sheltering order. Um, and, and we're a little bit protected and isolated geographically, plus um, the, uh, the, pa the patients that we have in our community don't suffer from a lot of the comorbidities that, that many communities suffer from. Um, it's not luck, but you're doing, public health deserves uh, a lot of credit. And so just take it, take it, you know, um, so it's, two deaths are terrible. But we thought a month, three weeks ago with your graph, we were looking at that and not sleeping. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I have a question from Santa Cruz local member Ron Goodman. Uh, Santa, Cruz, uh, Santa Cruz County has reported about three to five new COVID cases a day. Does that show the limits of testing or are there actually three to five new cases a day? And also, can you explain, he's asking for some explanation of um, why is the peak, uh, explanation of why the peak is pushed back till June. Okay, I'd be happy to take that one. So yeah, about three or so a day is about right. And again, uh, this is just the people that have been tested and have tested positive. Uh, we do have um, probably a one to 10 ratio of tests to positive. So uh, about 90% of the time when somebody is tested because they have symptoms, uh, sometimes they're tested when they don't have symptoms, but 90% uh, of the time it comes back negative. Um, with regard to that, uh, I want to say that um, the test is not very accurate when you don't have symptoms. There may not be enough virus available uh, on the swab to actually detect. So we don't recommend that asymptomatic um, people, people that have no symptoms, get tested because the, the test, it, it's not just a matter of, of wasting a test, but it's about providing information that might be falsely reassuring because you, you may actually have a virus and it wouldn't be picked up by the test. So the test is not useful unless you have symptoms. So that said, um, we're, we're probably, uh, obviously we're not counting the entire population um, and uh, there's more virus out there than we're counting. So, um, so we operate on the assumption that if you do have an illness that it's presumed to be due to COVID and all of the uh, self-isolation, the quarantine measures that we put in place are, are super important. Uh, and so we're asking people not to come to work where um, we have uh, sick leave policies that we've uh, implemented for public safety folks and for our healthcare providers that 
I think have been effective. We've seen some infections in our healthcare community, roughly, um, I think about 17% have been in healthcare providers. But when we really dig down to it and our public health nurses do contact tracing, they realize that only um, one or two of those were related to their occupation, that the exposure came from the community as a whole and not from, from the hospital or from the healthcare setting. Um, and I, I apologize, there was a second part to your question regarding the rate of rise or? Um, yeah, I've, we've heard this from actually a few questioners wanting to understand why the peak may be in June, like why do the models still show, yeah. you know, this big rise in June given all the success we've had in uh, flattening the curve? Yeah, great question. So yeah, I, uh, I would caution people, you'll hear the president, you'll hear New York, you'll hear the LA Times report that they appear to be at the peak. And uh, the thing is with, with those reports that you hear, those numbers, like sort of nationwide or even statewide numbers, are driven by large population centers, which we're not. So that's not necessarily representative of Santa Cruz. Um, also, our, our uh, rate of rise has been much lower than, than the rest of the country and the rest of California. So there's something special about Santa Cruz that has helped us flatten the curve. But flattening the curve is a good news, kind of bad news thing. One is flattening the curve reduces the height of the peak, meaning that uh, we're more likely to be able to have capacity for when that peak hits, but it also pushes that peak farther out and right. down. So um, so it's sort of imagining a marshmallow that you're squashing down on and it kind of spreads out. That's the idea of uh, flattening the curve. Just to follow on that, it, for the layperson, it seems like that peak goes out further than the shelter order goes out further. At what point do we find these models are not as good as we thought? And how, it seems like those two things follow each other. Can you talk about when that stops? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, I'll tell you what, it stops when we have testing. And uh, the shelter in place is, uh, as I said uh, earlier, is a blunt tool for the, that's a complete reflection of the lack of testing and testing, testing capability. So you've seen other countries like South Korea have been able to relax their shelter in place and, and isolation restrictions because they have a good sense of what's happening. So we're, we're in the phase right now where the only tool we have is to do what we're doing. And fortunately it's working, but it does have side effects. Uh, economic side effects and social side effects that that we're completely aware of and are trying to balance that. But once we have a better idea uh, of testing, when we don't have to wait a week for a test result to come back, then we can jump on the little outbreaks. We're going to see, you know, right now we're sort of seeing the big wave and what we're going to eventually get to is this, this sort of period of little ripples or um, little clusters that happen. And then we can react to those clusters. We can do more uh, targeted isolation or sheltering. Uh, we can do some, um, maybe some half measures to, um, to tamp down those little ripples that come, but, uh, but we can't detect the ripples without testing. Mm -hmm. Um, just one quick follow. When do you foresee, uh, Dr. Gilarducci, perhaps elective surgeries? I mean, and I wonder if that's been a big conversation with people like Dr. Uh, Digataldi and other medical leaders. Yeah, I'd like to hear from Dr. Digataldi on this as well. But, you know, people have, um, uh, you know, uh, medical needs that go beyond COVID, of course. And, uh, you know, we're, 
we're, our healthcare providers are worried about people with, uh, that need cancer surgery. We're worried about maybe making sure that mammograms are happening, that we're not, you know, uh, we don't, we're not blinded to all the other medical issues that people have. And some things, uh, there is a cost to putting those off. And so we've actually had conversations. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll let Larry chime in. But we've had conversations about uh, maybe um, allowing some more uh, kind of elective cases to go through. Um, um, Placer County opened or made the recommendation, I think today or yesterday, that elective uh, surgeries could go forward. We're being really cautious with that. And, and um, uh, so, no, we're not doing uh, elective uh, procedures now, but we're certainly planning for when we start to do it, to do it as safely as we can for patients and staff um, and work and, and physicians. Um, but David's point about mammography, um, uh, we identify breast cancers, not daily, but all the time through screening mammography. That's not happening. And colorectal screening, colonoscopies, they're not happening. So there are, um, there is a cost for not doing the basic preventative work that we are, that we excel at in this county. Um, so we're, we're looking at not just, you know, your elective hernia operation, but when do we start immunizing uh, uh, children and um, doing pap smears? So that's, we're talking about all of these things. Dr. Gillarducci, you said that testing is really the limiting factor to when we can see a significant easing to our shelter in place rules. Um, I guess what hope do you have with the three new testing centers that opened locally this week? What kind of solution is that and what more is needed? Yeah, thank you. Those are um, all a step in the right direction. Those are intended for the patients that are that seek care at those facilities. It's uh, not the kind of uh, um, sort of outreach kind of testing that I described earlier, uh, but they are a step in the right direction. You know, before before we had local testing capability, we were relying on the Santa Clara Public Health Lab. Uh, all of these had to be shipped over. They were very uh, gracious to accept our specimens and to do our tests, but they uh, obviously are running into capacity issues too in Santa Clara County. Uh, we also had commercial labs um, that have come on board in the past few weeks, but they have really struggled with the, um, with the, the loads. And, and we've heard reports of uh, one week turnaround times, which, almost becomes useless. You know, uh, a week is like a year in a pandemic uh, because of how spread can happen while you're waiting. So um, so we have a lot more to do. Uh, we've had some um, interesting offers from uh, researchers at UCSC who do genomic testing and they can do, they can build a, a PCR test. And so we're, we're investigating that. We're, we're looking at some foundational, uh, some um, uh, large donations to help us build capacity. So you'll be hearing more from us as this goes. Just to follow up on the testing, I mean, in Santa Clara County, I know there's a lot of comparisons, but they've had roughly 15,000 tests. Our county, I believe, around 2,500 tests from the beginning. Is Santa Cruz County getting short shrift with tests? Because it sounds like they get sometimes short shrift with PPE and, or, sorry, protective 
personal protective equipment and other requests because our county is not as populous as others. Is that part of what's going on and does that ever change? I think it is part of what's going on. Uh, you know, I think we're in a situation right now where, um, where we don't have a leadership role at the federal level. And so the states are competing with each other for resources. And uh, just anecdotally, I can tell you that we had um, a modest order for testing materials that uh, the vendor said they were gonna send to us. And then they told us, uh, we have another priority, you guys are lower on the list. And so uh, that is part of it is uh, we're not, you know, we're not LA County, we're not New York City. And so we um, are a lower priority. Let me just from, it was very, very difficult for our frontline physicians in the first few weeks of this, this um, crisis to not have testing or to have very, very limited testing and to follow the CDC's very strict guidelines. Uh, testing criteria have opened widely. We are getting results back um, within 24 hours and in some cases 12 hours. Um, some of our organizations have point of care testing, although the reagents are limited there. Uh, that's the Abbott test I think somebody's asked about. Um, and um, don't confuse this with serological testing, which is still um, more theoretical. Uh, it is available, but we really don't know how to interpret uh, a positive serological test, whether it confers immunity or how certain it is that you did have a, a COVID. So that's a, another part of the technology that we really need to um, really uh, develop and, uh, and spread. Dr. Dicataldi, it might be interesting for our listeners to hear a little bit about the conversation we were having offline ahead of this meeting. Um, we were talking about the Stanford study that came out today about antibody prevalence in um, Santa Clara County, and just curious if you could share your big takeaways from that study. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen the published report, so it's a little bit preliminary, but, but our infectious disease, uh, one of our, our ID docs says, I, uh, Stanford, has, Stanford has the capacity to do the serological testing, looking for antibodies in the patient's blood to uh, COVID-19. Um, and in many parts of the country, we're trying to understand how widespread is this infection, which can be asymptomatic in so many cases, right? So in Santa Clara County, Stanford ran a little over 3,000 um, random tests, and they're seeing likely prevalence in the, of, of the virus in the well, less than 4%, maybe as low as 2%. So what the, our first reaction to that is, not much, not much herd immunity there, right? So what does that mean as we go forward? Um, more and more testing is needed. We need to understand this thing that we're fighting. Yeah, I, I th and let me just ask a follow-up again, kind of from the layperson's perspective. Does that mean that there's some type of um, strain that's different on the West Coast that that was different from the East Coast, or no? Because I, I think it was talked about, uh, Dr. Gilarducci earlier, that things are happening differently in New York than they are here. So does this study seem to suggest that her people possibly could have been infected with a different strain and or is that less severe than what's happening on the East Coast? Or does it even speak to those things? Yeah, great. thank you for that question. Um, yeah, this 
came up the other day. Uh, so this, uh, the coronavirus is an RNA virus. Uh, it's a type of genetic material that can actually mutate pretty quickly. So we know that there are different varieties of the coronavirus circulating around and they can actually be traced from where they came from. And what we saw, the studies have shown in New York that mostly it's of a European origin in New York City. Uh, so the virus was circulating in New York and was brought in from that direction. In uh, the Bay Area, we've seen uh, actually a mix. Uh, there was uh, one um, genetic uh, code that looked like it came from a meeting in New York. So we actually got some virus from New York that came here. Uh, others uh, probably came from Asia uh, and other places like that. So um, uh, we think there were probably multiple sources of virus that were brought in from multiple different places into California. We think this is probably happening throughout January. Um, and, um, you know, we obviously travel was restricted in, in mid to late January, probably, uh, you know, the horse had already uh, left the barn at that point. Here's a question from um, Davenport resident Noel Bach. Um, she wants to know with the beach closed, which the, the beach is now open, would it be helpful for Santa Cruz County leaders to consider following San Mateo County's lead where um, they only have beaches open to locals? Yeah, there's, uh, I've been hearing a lot of concern uh, from uh, people about um, Santa Cruz becoming a magnet for everybody else who doesn't have beaches to go to. And obviously we're, we're, we're a tourist destination for most of California. Uh, and uh, I, I can tell you that uh, it's a trade-off that the health officers had to make in terms of uh, reopening the beaches. Uh, she recognizes the value of open spaces. Uh, she's um, you know, considered the kind of risk scenario of being out in an open area with uh, maintaining social distancing and all the things that we've done before that. And, uh, and then we also have mechanisms in place to have to, you know, to shut them back down if we see an issue. So all of the things that we've, that have shown success prior to the closure last week, the, the flattening of the curve, the increased doubling time for the cases, uh, et cetera, will continue to be in effect. Uh, and so uh, we have some confidence that we're managing that trade-off okay, but uh, there's gonna be a, a close monitoring of that. Another question from a listener, uh, which we just got, I think, which is pretty cool. <laughs> One of them says, if the tests aren't reliable for people without symptoms, uh, how will we ever get to sufficient widespread testing? And I think you talked about this a little bit, but could you elaborate, either of you? Well, the public health officer should go first, I think, on this. I didn't comment on serological testing, which would demonstrate um, prior or even distant infection. So that, that's an important tool. But David? Well, no, I, I, Larry, you're, you're an expert in this as well. I think the sero serological testing has some promise. We don't know enough about it yet. Um, so uh, yeah, the, uh, I think if we were able to focus the testing, uh, broad, wide-scale testing on people that are symptomatic, then we'll get a much better sense of what's what's going on. Um, it the test is not very good on people that are asymptomatic, and so uh, you know it's gonna it's gonna require people to be aware of their symptoms, um, to um, to respond to that, to act responsibly if they do have symptoms. 
you know, uh, cloth facial coverings have been an important aspect of this. These are, you know, a cloth mask. Uh, I, I don't want to use the mask, the word mask, because that's really a medical grade term and that's intended for healthcare providers. But the cloth facial covering is um, an excellent way to reduce the, the risk of you infecting somebody else. Um, it does not provide a whole lot of protection for, uh, for the mask wearer from other people. And probably the most common way that the virus will be passed is from your hands to your face. And so hand washing is, sounds so pedestrian and so low tech, but it actually is one of the most important things. The, the dilemma here is the swab tests for the presence of the virus. So you have to have sufficient virus present. You can't culture viruses like you can strep, a bacteria. And the serological test is a blood test not looking for the virus in the body, but the, the, our own antibodies to, to, the, to the virus. And we can usually tell whether it's a recent or, or more distant infection. So viruses are harder to track in, in, the, in the community. Um, I just wanted to remind our listeners that you can submit your questions in the chat box at the bottom of your screen. On the, on the black bar, you'll see chat, and then you can type in your questions there, and we'll read them. Um, this question is from Santa Cruz local listener Dana Bagshaw. She does not have a car, but she feels that she needs to get tested. What does she do? Well, I, I can answer for the two restaurant clinics and uh, PAMP, they look like drive-through, but we are testing folks. I don't know if we've tested somebody coming through on a bicycle, but we are testing folks that, that walk in. Um, and many, uh, it, look, think of Manhattan. They've, they've had to solve that where so many people don't have cars. Um, Dr. DeGataldi, can you speak about the situation at Sutter Maternity Maternity and Surgery Center. I know you're no, no longer doing elective surgeries, but also um, our hospitalization COVID caseload is, you know, about less than a dozen right now countywide. What's going on at the surgery center, and are you taking COVID inpatients there? No, um, the answer is no. But we have um, working with. Uh, Dr. Newell and Gillarducci, we have worked with the other two hospitals for what we call surge planning. And so we're, we are trying to anticipate uh, at any point in his graph or curve what role each hospital and a future um, alternative care site would play. One of the messages, though, that we are, uh, all three hospitals are, try are really trying to share with the community is that we are being very careful for non-COVID patients that the hospitals are safe for deliveries. And that's an important message that um, all of us are trying to share. We're being very, very careful uh, for routine obstet for, for standard obstetric services. It's very important. Looking for more questions from people. Kara, do you have one lined up? Sure. Um, um, well, I guess this could be a question for Dr. Gillarducci. This is a question from Santa Cruz local member Craig Chatterton. Have you heard of any, so it seems like, um, uh, you know, with such little happening right now, um, you know, our streets relatively open, um, 
yeah, I guess is the, is there more that could be done um, to I guess take advantage. Uh, actually, sorry, never mind. That might not be a good question for you. This uh, uh, this question is from Ron Goodman. Some community groups are suggesting that while there is so little car traffic and so much pedestrian and bike traffic, that it would make sense to limit cars on some roads. Oakland's doing something like this. Could Santa Cruz also consider similar restrictions? Uh, yeah, thank you. I, I don't know if that is a uh, kind of a health officer jurisdiction, uh, but I'm all in favor of fewer cars on the road <laughs> and more walking and more bike riding. And, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of maybe more of an urban planning kind of question. But um, But it's been, if there was any positive to all of this, it's been that the traffic in the county has been uh, a lot better than it normally is. And I see a lot of road work going on right now too. They're working on traffic signals and so forth. So I think it's a good opportunity to get some of that done. Can, one question too for Dr. Gilarducci. Can you talk about how the county weighs public health concern with um, ec the economic engine of the county? Because obviously there's a lot of people out of work and a lot of business, business people who are fretting right now. Can you talk about how you weigh in those things? Yeah, that's that's a, a great question. And uh, there isn't, um, I mean, it's, it's a matter of concern. Our focus is on, um, on health. And so uh, we, um, you know, certainly prioritize uh, making sure that we control the spread of this virus to the extent that we can. But we recognize that there are trade-offs. And, um, you know, some of the trade-offs, I think Dr. Newell, um, you know, acknowledge by relaxing the beach restriction orders, recognizing that we still need to go outside, we still need to do healthy activities and so forth. From an economic perspective, uh, we are looking for any way that we can to, uh, to, um, to, you know, get back to normal. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, if we, if we again have good testing, I think that we could start looking at having people eating in restaurants again with some appropriate spacing, uh, engineering controls that can happen as far as reducing risk, um, and maybe get some of these uh, you know important kind of activities back going. But uh, but right now, I think the cost of doing those things without the abil ability to surveil the evidence and the prevalence of disease will outweigh any short-term economic benefit at this point. So uh, it's trying to trying to make that trade off. So it, do we have a formula or some kind of algorithm that we use? Um, I think uh, I, I can't I can't say that it's more of a subjective assessment, but we're we're certainly have that balance in our minds. And just real quick, I know the county is working with other counties in the Bay Area to have a unified new, perhaps looser shelter order in May. Would that could that include restaurants? Is that a goal, or could you describe what we might see in May? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, unfortunately, I uh, haven't had a chance to read uh, some of those proposals yet, so I, I don't want to speak out of turn. Uh, but um, but it would uh, include a, a kind of gradual and careful relaxation of activities. You'll probably see a kind of piecemeal relaxation that happens over time. I, I would imagine restaurants will be part of that. Uh, are we going to see the boardwalk open anytime soon or, or, or you know, are we going to see uh, large weddings and funerals anytime soon? I think that's going to be much farther out. 
Uh, in fact, that may even have to wait for a vaccine if we have one. Uh, but um, are there ways to um, to um, kind of go back to normal uh, that um, can manage the risk? I think that there's some opportunity there. We're already seeing, you know, uh, uh, some relaxation on, on landscaping, on construction, on outdoor activities. And uh, so that is what we're going to try to do going forward. This is a question for both of you from Chris Nicholson. What is the latest that we know about um, death rates caused by coronavirus um, here locally, uh, I guess in this region, including Santa Clara County? Larry, I've been talking yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, so let me let me go back a little bit before that uh, the question. Um, it's incredibly important to recognize that certain individuals are at much higher risk of dying from COVID, and and I think the more the public understands that, the better. Um, I, I may not rank this in the absolute order, but we know that age is probably the greatest uh, predictor of mortality from COVID. Um, we know that diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease, including just regular old high blood pressure, um, under anything that is immunosuppressing for the patient, um, uh, patients who are dialysis or patients with chronic kidney disease, and male gender. Those are all risk factors for dying uh, from COVID. And so as you think about your individual safety or loved ones, um, uh, measure the, put those on, on the mix. Um, and we are most definitely seeing those risk factors play out. Um, we, as David said, we've only had two deaths in the county and both patients were older with chronic disease. Um, but uh, those patterns are playing out all over the country and in Santa Clara County as well. Dr. Digitaldi, can you sort of speak about that through the lens of the Stanford study and the Dartmouth Atlas study? Like, what yes. do we know about, we, what can you sort of uh, say about lethality rates in um, um, Santa Cruz County? Well, I don't think we can learn anything from the perspective of risk of mortality from the Stanford study. Um, what the Dartmouth Atlas uh, study that you're referencing, they have looked around the country at individual communities at um, measuring how many patients are older with chronic disease, multiple chronic diseases. And uh, those communities where, and they tend to be um, underserved and lower income communities in the country that have lots of folks over the age of 65 with lots of diabetes and high blood pressure, those communities are at much greater risk. Um, Santa Cruz is on, way on the other side of the equation where we, we tend to have, um, even though we have old, a lot of older patients, there's not much chronic disease in Santa Cruz compared to other parts of the state and, and the U.S. So from that perspective, there's a little bit of uh, protection for us. And I could say that uh, the case fatality rate or the expected uh, mortality of COVID infections is around 2% um, internationally. And we have about 100 cases with two deaths. So we're kind of tracking along that line. Uh, you know, I omitted a big one, chronic lung disease. Um, and um, probably smoking as well and moderate, moderate or worse asthma. That was actually one of the questions somebody just asked if there's a difference between smoker and non-smoker. So 
He's clairvoyant. Smart, smart, smart person. <laughs> and there's there's a there is a connection between kind of uh, background pollution exposure too. Um, so um, if you live in a heavily industrialized area that doesn't have clean air, that could probably put you at higher risk. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think we have to do. I want to do. I think one more question before we do. I think the last question, Kara. Um, one person asked uh, Pat Clark, um, and I'll sort of adapt his question. We've seen, I believe, fewer count, fewer COVID cases in South County versus North County, and I'm just, I wonder if that's an effect of access to healthcare or other factors. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, I, I wondered the same thing. That slightly fewer uh, proportion. You know, we divided the county into sort of three blocks: uh, North, Mid, and, and South. And uh, the fewest number of cases are from the South. I think that. There's a couple of reasons. One is it's somewhat proportional to population. Um, secondly, is we share uh, a border in the South County with Monterey County, and they've had some cases uh, from North Monterey County that have cropped up in their numbers, and our numbers don't reflect that. In fact, we did have a third death in the county that was actually a Monterey County resident. So, um, so, uh, but I think access to healthcare is another issue. Uh, and uh, there, I think, is in particular with some um, communities a reluctance to seek health care because of uh, perhaps immigration status and other issues like that. So we may be seeing uh, a number of reasons why the numbers are lower in, in, in the South County. Last question for both of you. Um, we wanted to know if there's what you would want people to know. Any last um, parting thoughts? Larry, would you? Well, um, I, I think just um, keep in mind of y your your own risk factors and the people that you care about. Um, and um, we're in that this is not going to go away by May 1st and not by June 1st. We're not going to have a vaccine or an, an effective medication. Um, and that the old fashioned public health tools are the most um, important tools we have and um i hate to say it but our public health officers are more important than our neurosurgeons and our cardiac surgeons suddenly they're the the captains of the ship i know a lot of neurosurgeons who would not agree with that but uh <laughs> um yeah i i totally echo what larry has to say i you know uh i want to say i'm proud to live here and I'm proud of my neighbors and everybody who's responded to this. I think it's a, a testament to who we are as a community. Let's stick together, think about each other. Some of the acts of kindness that I've seen that have people have reached out to help others is just tremendous. We're probably mile three of a marathon at this point. So um, I just uh, encourage everybody to keep it up and take care of yourselves. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you so much, Dr. Gillarducci and Dr. Dugataldi. Um, really appreciate your time. Um, one quick announcement. We have a members-only video chat with Santa Cruz Local over Zoom this Tuesday. We'll brainstorm ways about how our community can help um, Santa Cruz County get through this time. Members, you'll have an invite in your email in the next few days. Bring your own coffee. Hope to see you there. If you're not a member, I hope you consider joining. Um, Natalia will put the link in our chat box to learn more about membership. And for those of you who aren't on our newsletter, um,
please consider joining. It's a good way to get, easy way to get news in your inbox. Uh, the link is in your chat box. Um, thank you so much for tuning in to Santa Cruz Local, and we'll see you all next time.